uh, with me now to uh, to First Peter. We are we have uh, been in the last uh, three weeks now. First Peter, and uh, we've covered chapter one. We're in it, getting into chapter two. Um, uh, when uh, I have asked. Um, when I've asked someone to fill in, when I've asked Justin to fill in for me, he's been preaching through um, uh, Ecclesiastes, and I've been we've been blessed to hear that. And um, you know the, the 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 whole point of Ecclesiastes is to help us figure out and help us to deal with this. That first of all, to, to know that um, we're not making it up when we take an honest look at life and it feels futile. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of futility in life. And um, I ask the faith conversations group that meets before the service and kind of works through and asks questions about the text. Like, share, a, share an event or a, a time where you, you tackled a project and all you encountered was futility. Like, you just, like, you know, entropy, <laughs> that law of physics where everything's moving toward chaos. Like, it just kind of kept after you and nothing you did to repair the situation really did anything. The hardest thing I've ever did, uh, and on that sense, you know, I, uh, I had a shed in Jacksonville, a 10 by 20 shed. And I had people, some of you actually prayed for me during this because it was such an ordeal. Uh, the probes were my neighbors and they would walk out and feel so sorry for me as I was trying to repair the shed. It was, it was uneven. The corner, some of the, the, the supports had rotted and it was leaning and we we're trying to get our house ready to sell. And I thought, I can fix this. That wasn't a joke, but y'all laughed anyway. Anyway, but I, I, it eventually got done, but with much help and many hours, you know, I was thinking, oh, this is maybe 10 hours. I, it took two years. I don't know how many hours that is. Uh, it felt like it took forever. Uh, it, I aged at least two years from it. Um, um, it. You know, there's kind of like dog years, there's shed years, and that's how I do it. And it was just, it, I, you know, but uh, there's a lot of scraped knuckles, a lot of splinters. Uh, a lot of me trying things, you know, I knew there was YouTube channels. I didn't look at those. I just figured I could do it. And, uh, I, you know, and, you know, and trying to even up a structure that ha- that's already built with a, with a jack, that is the, like, epitome of futility, you know, because you jack up this part, guess what? The other part drops. It, I, 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 I did it. I don't remember how we did it. I don't remember how it actually got finished, but it got finished. We sold it. But, man, it was so, so... So, I could just say so for the next 30 minutes. But it was so frustrating. Um, and uh, so much futility. Um, but I handled it all with um, grace. No, I didn't. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but life feels that way. Life feels like, sometimes life feels like you're trying to balance a shed. No one's ever said that from the pulpit, but there it is. That's what it is like. It's trying to repair something that's already built and trying to figure it out and trying to, and it just doesn't work. And the, you know, with that shed, the foundations weren't good. And every time I tried to make an adjustment, it, it moved and shifted and broke. And that's, that's what life, that's what the Christian life feels like a lot of times. Um, and, and we need to be honest about that. But here Peter is giving us um, the right way to think about things. And, and really just to kind of give, a, give it away a little bit, um, the secret is to realize that it's, 
it's not your building project. <laughs> it's, not, it's not you that's doing it. And that's where, that's where we, that's our hope. This is something that, that God is doing. So let me, with that said, let's, let's pray and then read the scripture together. Gracious God, we thank you for your word and we pray that, that you would meet us in the struggle. Meet us as you did with these, these Christians um, um, in, the, in, this, in the first century as they're dealing with hardships and struggles and, 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 and severe persecution. Um, help, help us in the same way to, to know you're at work. To, to, to think rightly about what you've called us to do and what you've made us, who you've made us to be. And, um, and out of that knowledge, Lord, help us to live in a way that's pleasing to you by your grace, by your power. Uh, work this in our hearts by your word and through your spirit this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, 1 Peter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have trusted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Uh, there are three things I want us to look at, three questions we're going to answer. First, um, where is the nourishment uh, in the Christian life? Where is the nourishment in or for the Christian life? Uh, second, who is the foundation of the Christian's life? And then thirdly... Um, what is the motivation for the Christian life, the life in Christ? So first, where is the nourishment? Um, you know, uh, you got, we got at least one person here is a dietitian. You know, having a good diet, growing, it's important not only to know what you're supposed to take in, but also what you're not supposed to eat. And, you know, a lot, some of us are at the age we go to the doctor, that's all we hear of what we're not supposed to eat, Right? You know, there's a one joke. He goes in, and uh, he goes. A guy goes in with heartburn, and the doctor keeps telling him all the things that give him heartburn. He's like, "I already know that." You know, like that. Tell me something I don't know. I know a guy. Tell me, I want to fix it. I don't want to stop eating these things, right? I already know that. 
It's like, did I pay a copay for you to tell me what gives me heartburn? Anyway, but uh, we, we all hear about, you know, part of a good diet, and, and I'm sorry to bring up a sore subject, but, you know, uh, but we, we, we have to know what to put off, what to put away, and also what to start eat, taking in to, to be healthy and to grow. And, and that's, that's what we have here in these first verses. Where, where do we find true nourishment for the Christian life? And the first thing he says is what we're to put away, we're to push away from us. And as I think about that and eating, I think about you know, the, the, when a toddler finishes a meal, they just push the plate off the table. It's just push it, put it away. You know, I don't want to see it. You know, and it's just on the floor. And uh, don't do that, kids. But anyway, that's, that's what they do. What are we to put away as those who are now, uh, who are Christians, who are new creations, who are living in the love of God? We, he tells us we're to put away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. These are to have no part of the life in Christ, of a Christian's life. Now, when I say that, you go, but it does. <laughs> I, 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 I struggle with these things. But what are these things? We think we know, but maybe not. What is malice? Malice isn't just mean, but an active willing of ill for someone else. Like, you want them to suffer. You want them to... Uh, to something, something bad to befall them because of a grudge or a, or a hurt. Uh, could have been even a legitimate, you know, offense that you're just actively willing, hoping for their uh, downfall. That's malice. That's malice. Deceit, or another other translations call it guile. Well, it's the opposite of purity and peace. It's craftiness used to hide guilt. Or feelings of inferiority. It's 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 kind of I, I'm going to position myself to kind of you know cover up what I'm doing wrong, but highlight and, and, and put and make other people look look worse. Deceit, guile, hypocrisy. We know what that is. A lot of people aren't in this room now because they believe this place is full of hypocrisy. <laughs> you hear people say that I'm not going to church because it's full of hypocrites. And you go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, amen. Uh, that we, we're having, you know, Peter knows that. He's telling who? Not unbelievers. He's not, this isn't a letter to those outside the church. It's to the church. He's saying, look, right now, put these things off. Push them off the table. There's, there's malice. <laughs> there's deceit and guile. There's, there's hypocrisy that's saying one thing, doing another. Uh, again, kind of this old this idea of a lot of these are about you know putting ourselves forward in a positive light uh, to the at the expense of others. That's what's going on. It's it's really all this is the opposite of this brotherly love that we're told we're to have for one another. Um, lies that protect or promote oneself, envy, begrudging someone else's good. Right? I mean, just. Uh, yeah, instead of being glad for what someone's received, glad for the promotion, glad for the new house, glad for, you know, uh, man, I, I want that. How dare they have that and I don't. I'm so much more deserving. Don't you think? No. Anyway, but like that, 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 that envy, I can't, you know, I'm always looking to what others have. I can't find contentment in what I have. And then finally slander. And, and, and this is the act, acting out of envy, Right? You know, like saying that, yeah, they got this, but it was from ill gain. 
They don't deserve it. And all this is about what? Putting ourselves over others. And he's saying that this is, he's having to say it because it's true. It's, it's, it's real. And I'm, I'm glad to say I don't see this active in this church in a major way. We all, I know, I know you're sinners and I'm a, I'm a big sinner too. Again, the probes know they heard me fixing the shed. They heard some things. And so they know that I'm a sinner and, and you're a sinner. And, and, and so there, these things are in our hearts. But I, I'm glad to say I don't see this active and, you know, striking at the foundation of peace and unity in this church. But I've been at churches where it has been. Maybe you have too. Um, and and, and it's a, there's, a, there's a temptation to kind of form sides and form cliques. And it's our family and that family. And it happens all the time, even among Christians. I know you're shocked. Some of you may be shocked that you're new to this thing and you're going, uh, the pastor's saying that. He's admitting that sinners mess up big and, and, and sin and aren't even aware of it and are blind to it. And, 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 and how, you know, again, this, this is true. Put, put that away. Put that away. This is the opposite of what you're called to do. It's the opposite of, this, of, of love. And, but why? Why put it away? Because it's, it's, it's contrary to the word the good news, going back to chapter 1, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. And it's the word of what? What is the word? What, is it, what does it say? Verse 22 of chapter 1, Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of the imperishable, the living, abiding word of God. Um, you, you've, been, you've been renewed, born again through the good news of the gospel so that you may have this brotherly love toward one another. It's contrary to the love we're to have for one another. And we can't grow spiritually. It's going to be an, 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 an impediment to us if we are continually to kind of feed on these feelings and feed on, these, on envy and malice and, and just ride in that. What, what's the... What's the, what's the uh, What's the answer, though? What's the answer to that? We, it's not just putting away and doing without, but it's, we're supposed to long for something else. We're supposed to feed on something else. And he says it here in verse 2 of chapter 2. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation. Um, you know, I'm of the generation, you know, there, there's been debates of is formula better or, or, or milk from the mother better. Uh, there's been that. We kind of know the best thing a kid can have, a baby can have, is their mother's milk. That's, that's important. And that's so nutritious. And, and again, there's, if it can't happen, if something doesn't work out, something medical, you know, impediment to that, then of course there's other options. But no one disagrees that that is what's the most healthy for a child. And so what, what, is, he, what is he saying is so this essential food, this essential nourishment that we need, what is it? What is this spiritual milk? Um, it is, again, going back to verse 25, um, of chapter 1, it's the Word, it's the good news, it's the Word of God, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, we need that instead. We need to, and it's not only is it something we just put these off and put these on, but getting this true nourishment, the, the, you know, feeding on the Word of God 
it equips us and motivates us and empowers us to put off sin as we're reminded of, of, of God's love for us. Um, Edmund Cloudy said this, he goes, The message of His love is what kindles ours. It's the message of Christ's love is what kindles and, and, and stokes the fire of our love for one another. And, and it shows us how to love as well. We are, we are to keep coming back to this good news and feed on that. The love of Christ for you and for me. That, that He shows mercy and grace to us. That He loves us when we don't deserve it. That is how we are to love one another in the body of Christ. Not, not begrudging good. Not, not wanting to elevate ourselves over some, to feel good about ourselves uh, by putting someone else down. No, it's, it's a self-forgetting love motivated by Christ's love for you and me. And because it's so good, we're to long for it like infants. You know, I've never heard a living thing cry out so in such a blood-curdling, like, as a baby that is hungry. I mean, if you, you know, like, I'm a sound sleeper, and even that would wake me up. And Camille's like, maybe sometimes. But no, I mean, it was like, that the the angry longing for for sustenance that like I need it I want it now and then Peter's saying that's how we're to long for the gospel uh, and you know again we we what do we do we we turn to things that aren't good for us you know you know uh, we 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 go for things that we feel like satisfy and you. You know, for a little while, malice satisfies. You know? Making a common enemy with some other folks, that can unify. We do that without really trying. It, it just, just If we kind of put the car in neutral, we're going to roll into that. We're going to roll into malice. I don't know if that's been said before from the pulpit. Put your car in neutral, roll into malice. Don't do that. Anyway, but, but like, that is going to happen in, 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 in envy. And no, how do I, how do I come by? I've got to take in and be nourished by what is true and good and, and be reminded of the gospel is true. God's love for me is true. His mercy and grace for me is true. I don't deserve this. That's true. But yet I still receive it. That's true. And so therefore I love my brothers, my sisters in Christ in the same way. This putting off, pushing off the table, these other things, but longing and turning and feeding on the good news of Jesus Christ. That's where the Christian finds nourishment. That's where we, how we grow into, into Jesus Christ more and more. Second is, who is the foundation of the Christian life? And you notice I didn't say what, but who. And you see that in, in the next verses. You know, he talks about, you know, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, you know, feeding upon the spiritual milk. And then he says, as you come to him. Now think about that. He's saying, I want you to read the Bible. I want you to be in the Scriptures. But sometimes we can look at that as like kind of a, a working of itself. Like, you read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow. Okay, that, that's true, right? That's, that's true, right? And you do that, but what's happening in that? Is this because you're obeying that you grow? 
But look what he says. As you turn to the gospel, as you feed upon the pure spiritual milk, he's equating it, Peter's equating it to coming to him. When you, when you feed upon God's word, you are coming to him. You're coming to who? To Jesus. It's not just an act of obedience that yields growth, that nourishes you. It's reading the scripture and thus through that, meeting Jesus. Jesus meeting you where you are. It's coming to Christ each and every day. It's about this relationship. And it's important. We, we, we so easily take the scripture, take this good, good news and make it legalistic. But no, reading the Bible is the saint is coming to him. As you come to him, as you read your scripture, you're coming to Jesus. Does that change the way you think about reading the scripture? I struggle with it, okay? I struggle with, I'm, I'm a recovering legalist. So there's part of me that when I start beating myself up, you got it, you gotta, have you read your Bible? Have you read your Bible? This is a whip, okay? I don't know what, if you didn't know what this was. It's not a shaker, it's, it's a bad thing. Anyway, but like after that, I'm... And then I go, oh, am I doing this out of guilt and shame? And, and sometimes it is. And sometimes we live out of that in the Christian life. But reading the scriptures is coming to Jesus. Is, let's, like, like, let's, have a, let's have an appointment together. I want to hear from you. I want you to speak into my life. You're, you're the lover of my soul. This isn't a, a you know, do you, do you look forward to meeting with someone that's a dear friend? Or do you go, oh, I've got to do this again? No, you go, yeah, let's meet. Let's do it. We come to him and, and, and he speaks to us and speaks to our soul and, and confirms us. And, and he calls him, uh, we're coming to him, Christ, and he calls him here a, a, a living stone. A living stone. That's, that's, that's strange, right? Have you ever seen a living rock before? I haven't. There you, it was this kind of fad in the is it sixties pet rocks. It was a low ebb for advertising, and you know, well, maybe really great if you could sell a rock, right? I guess it was during inflation, and you know, you didn't have to feed a rock. They're like, get a rock. It's better than a dog. It's cheaper. Anyway, I don't know, but you know, yeah, but you know, a, a rock. You know, a, what's a living rock? That doesn't make sense. But he's 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 making a, 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 a he's saying something true, something. It's vital to the gospel about Jesus Christ. He's saying it's a rock. It's firm. It's solid. It's, you know, remember the, the parable, the person that builds their house in the sand, builds their house on the rock. And he said that I'm, he's the rock. He can hold you up. He can sustain your life. All the, you know, all the, all the, you know, all that life brings and the struggles and the questions. He, he's solid and stable and, and you can build upon who he is. His, his, what he's done for us is enough and we can build our lives on that. But also it says it's living. It's not just a stone that's dead and cold, but it's, it's, it's living. It's life-giving. It's working. And that's how, you know, you know that's, that's different, right? That's not, it's not just a cold, hard, unliving stone, but a living, active, firm foundation for our lives. That's who this Jesus is. He also says this about it, that it, this Jesus has been rejected by men, but is chosen and precious to God. Um... You know, uh, 
how do we assign value to something? How do we know something is valuable? Well, sometimes uh, it's, and Jack's used this as an illustration before talking about the gospel, but it's, it's what the, it's the value that people assign to it, right? Something is valuable because people think, and enough people think it's desirable. You know, the antique road show, who about watches that, you know? Some people are like, this is really old, and they're so excited. It's like, this is worth two cents. And like, oh, but it's old, and nobody wants it. <laughs> it's not that special, it's just old. And then some things are like, I think this is worth $10. It's worth a million dollars. I'm exaggerating, but, you know, anyway, you need to watch it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, but because there are people going, this is precious, there's not that many, and everybody wants it, and therefore it has value. And so sometimes when you're in the Christian life, you go, Man, is this Christian life, is Jesus valuable? Because I'm with a lot of people that just don't think he's worth much. That don't value the gospel. That don't value what he's done. That don't believe it's true. And sometimes you go, is it? He's rejected by so many. Think about this in high school. You know, when you're in high school, you had the popular lunch table and the unpopular, Right? Right? And did you want it? Which table did you want to be at? The popular one, right? And so you didn't want to be associated with those who had been rejected. You wanted to be with those who were accepted. And then you found yourself going, well, maybe these, there's a reason these guys are, are rejected. Again, you go, what? But he's going, Jesus has been rejected by men. Think about it. If you're a Christian in the first century, how many brothers? How many? How many churches are around? You, you can't throw a rock out here in church. Don't throw rocks at churches, by the way. But you can't throw a rock around here without hitting a church. There, there, there was just one. There's maybe a few people, and it was secretive. And there's still places in the world like that. But he goes, Jesus has been rejected by men, but he's precious to his Father. He's precious. And chosen by him. Other people reject him. God chose him. Other people think he's worthless. To God he's precious. To his father he's precious. And chosen to fulfill the mission. He's living. He's, he's, he's a life-giving spirit. He's, 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 he's solid. The, the scripture you can count on. It's true. But and though he's rejected by men. He's precious. And pit and chosen by God. That, and that's where he goes in next. As he talks about the foundation of the Christian life. He now goes into contrast. He's looking at how not only uh, how we should think about Jesus. But how we should think about ourselves. And then he says this amazing thing. He calls Jesus a living stone. And then he goes and says, you too, we are also Living stones. You yourselves, like living stones, being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Because we are United to Jesus, what's true for him is now true for us. What he has earned, what he has gained is true for us. And, 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 for the, that's, and think the comfort this is to these early Christians. 
Not only are we being rejected, Jesus was rejected too. And they feel that rejection immensely at this state of the, in the church. Like the government, their families, their synagogues are all rejecting them. But just like Christ, they are chosen and precious to God. He's saying to you this morning and to me this morning, though Jesus is rejected by men and chosen and precious God, you, though you are rejected by this world, though you're not, you are, you are in it but not of this world, though you feel the resistance, you feel the persecution in various ways, though maybe not like then and, or places like China or India or, or, um, or, or Israel, like you feel the rejection, you feel the opposition, and you feel what feels like futility. But again, like I said before, this building project is not on you. Jesus himself is the cornerstone. He's where it all begins. It's the, it's the cornerstone is that part where all the other stones of the foundation of the building are, are, are kind of built out from him. He's the key piece. And if you were a builder in the day and they didn't, use, they didn't use mortar, it was so precious and so vital to have a good, solid cornerstone that you could build the foundation upon and out from. And he's saying that is Jesus. And Jesus is building you and me up into this spiritual house, into a holy priesthood for his service. He's doing that. And though, though he, we feel rejected, he's working. He's doing it. And he will see it's done. He will see it to completion. Men reject the church. The world rejects the church, but also the world has rejected. They do it because the world has rejected him first. That's why he quotes Isaiah 28, 16. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. It feels like futility a lot. It feels like you're banging your head against the wall. It feels like you're not going anywhere. It feels like you're maybe getting worse. <laughs> All you do is see more and more of your sin. It seems like the world's getting worse. If you're watching the news station more than an hour a day, stop. <laughs> you need to be informed, but man, there's a bigger story. There's a bigger story. God's at work. And he says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You will not end, at the, at the end of the day, it will not be futile. It will not be all in vain. It will be toward, it will be to glory. And to his house being complete and his temple being complete. And us being with Christ. It will not end in having to call someone else. It will be not end in having to give up. It will end with, Glory, because Jesus is the cornerstone and, and God himself is forming you and his church into his temple. Also, just personally, right? Like, think about that, but you personally, you feel rejected, you feel discouraged. He's saying, but God has chosen you. God loves you. And I was reading this, I was reminded of a song that I really like by the Avid Brothers. It's called Head Full of Doubt. Um, because when nothing is owed or deserved or expected, and your life doesn't change by the man that's elected, then he goes, which is, that's the futility, right? 
He goes, if you're loved by someone, you're never rejected. Decide what to be and go be it. If you're loved by someone, you're never rejected. So the world can hate, the world can reject Jesus, the world can reject us. But we're loved and chosen and precious in the sight of God. He's building us into his spiritual house. He's building us into this holy priesthood, this, his people, this holy nation, to serve him and to love him. And, to, and then what else? That brings us to the third and final brief point. What is our motivation for the Christian life? The motivation is this new identity. The motivation is who we are now in Jesus Christ. You look at verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Motivation isn't... We don't start with with the doing, with the works. We start with who God has made you to be. He's chosen you from before the foundation of the world to be His. To be a part of His people. To be one of His people. To be one of those in in that He's going to, you know, uh, start a good work and complete it. He's known you from from before the creation of the world. And and in a real time, in a real place and time, the Word went out in power. And you heard it and the Spirit changed your life, changed your heart. And you were given the gift of faith. But that was because He chose you first. Again, in this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us first. The, The loving relationship with God begins with Him. And he, not only a holy priesthood, but a royal priesthood. We're, we, serve, we serve God, but serve as part of his royal family. It's a, it's a holy priesthood like, yeah, greater than Aaron, but also it's, it's a royal. It's, we're of the line not of Aaron, but of Christ himself, of the, the greater high priest, the great high priest. And we serve him on his behalf, and we serve one another He's made us a set-apart nation, a people, a church to himself that are, are to live and live differently than the rest of the world. And again, we can do that because we are his. Jesus says that all those the Father has given me, no one will snatch them out. He's a jealous God and he holds us tight in the palm of his hand. We are possessed by Him. And that's exactly where we want to be. That is who we are. And so that motivates us to, to live for Him. It's not just a, a we get a get-out-of-jail-free card. Some people want to you know, boil the gospel down to something just as mundane as that. It's just, you don't have to go to hell. But no, it's, it's more than that. I want relationship with you. I want, I want you to be, to be free, of not, of, not of the guilt and penalty of sin, but of the reality of sin. I want to set you free. I want to do away with death and pain for I want to make all things new and for you to be with me for all of time. That's what I'm doing. That's what he has done. That's who he has made us to be. His chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, his own people. Once we were in darkness, but now we've been called into his marvelous light. Once we were not a people, a people with no identity. We're only attached to, our, our head was Adam and we were just lost and without, without purpose. But now we are God's people. Once we were objects of his wrath, 
without mercy. But now, through Christ, we have received mercy. That isn't future. That's, that's something that's happened. It's happened. It's, a, something, it's an action that's happened with ongoing effects. We have received mercy. We are His people. We are living in the light of the gospel. And then therefore, what is our new purpose? That's our new identity. What's our new purpose? What do we do with that? We simply do this. Proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us. We proclaim His excellencies. And kids, what does that mean? We talk about all the ways He's excellent. We talk about His love, His grace, His mercy. That's what we're called to do. That's what evangelism, that's what missions is. It's just making much of God that that loved us so well. We speak of His love. We speak of His grace. And that's how we that's how we encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's it's how we make God the gospel known to those outside, but it's also the way we love one another. Again, we come back to the very beginning. Put off malice and envy and slander, but keep saying to, to, to me, and I'm gonna keep saying to you, let's keep saying to one another, the excellent excellencies of him who called you to himself, who made you his people, who showed you mercy. We love one another when we do that. We love those outside the church when we do that. And we glorify God when we do that. We make much of Him to the world around us. God has provided for our nourishment. He wants us to grow and He's provided. He's given us His Word. He has has, uh, not only... He hasn't just given us instructions and told us to figure it out. He hasn't even just given us instructions with all the parts for assembly. He is himself doing the work. And he is the foundation, the cornerstone. And our motivation is not just to do better, but our motivation is who we are in Christ and what he has made us to be. And out of that, we move forward in glad service, making his glory known. Would that God would help us to do that. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this, your word, and we do pray that we would see ourselves as you see us and not see ourselves as the world sees us and not see you as the world sees you, but see see you, Lord Jesus, as chosen and precious the Father and to see ourselves as chosen, precious, a treasured possession. Of you And Lord, out of the abundance of your mercy and what you've made us to be and what you've done for us, help us to live not in conflict with one another, in conflict with you, but Lord, show us, soften our hearts through your gospel and make us well, willing and ready to, to live for you and to speak of you and, and praise you and share all that makes you excellent and wonderful and glorious. And Lord, and in the abundance of that, as we, as we revel in your goodness and speak of your love, help us to love one another. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.